As we were approaching our uh, three-year anniversary last month, um, can I be real with you guys? I experienced a bit of an existential crisis, existential panic, and it was like this, the next three, 10, 30 years of our church's life started playing out in my mind like a movie, and you know, everything looked fine. We had all aged well, don't worry. Uh, we grew in numbers. People started getting married, having kids. We got a nice church building. Our ministry systems were running really smoothly. Our branding was more polished. Um, our smiley face evolved into something, I don't know, more commercialized. I don't know. And listen, I have nothing, hear me church, because I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I have nothing against suburban churches, okay? I love suburban churches, but the only way I could describe what we had become is the quintessential blueprint, comfortable suburban church. You know, I'm just, I love suburban churches. I'm just a city boy at heart, okay? And this scene played out before me in my mind. I'm, I'm walking through our congregation 30 years from now, and on the outside, there was this appearance of life. Um, we were successful. We had grown. And on the outside, there was so much life. And we wore our masks so well, like we so often do, to tell everyone that we're doing great. But as I'm walking through our congregation, I'm looking into the eyes of our people, and I couldn't see any life. And all these years, we were still just as anxiety-ridden. We were still burning out. We were still harboring unforgiveness, unhappy, unfulfilled, lonely, greedy, lustful, you name it, all of it. And we had grown on the outside, but inside, we hadn't grown that much at all. And in this scene, I walk through our congregation. I guess we have a green room for the speaker. Hey, one day maybe, I don't know. And I walk into the back room, and there's this mirror, and I walk up to it. And I'm staring into the mirror at myself, and I see I, too, had become a middle-aged suburban pastor, the Asian Rick Warren. And on the outside, I, too, had this appearance of life. I was successful. I had written many books. Uh, My revelations got retweeted all of the time. But as I looked into my eyes, through my reflection, I could see that I was completely empty inside. There was no life. And I, I came to this stark realization in this in this, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, this existential crisis where I had this moment, this realization that we had been going to church and doing church and building church all these years, but nothing inside of us had changed. And we looked no more like Jesus than we did when we first started. We had raised people who were really good at doing church, but we had no idea how to live as disciples of Jesus. And at that moment, I told God, God, if this is our future, if this is my future, I I don't want any part of it. Like, I don't want that for our people. I don't want that for my son growing up in this place. I don't want that. If that is all there is, I don't want anything to do with it. Amen. Let's pray. God, I I thank you. I'm just kidding. That would be the worst way to end the vision sermon, right? Um, In the midst of this existential crisis, I promise we're coming out. We're coming out, okay? We're coming out of the crisis. Don't worry. Don't worry. In the midst of my existential crisis, I said, God, I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for my life where I just get really good at playing church. You know what I mean? Like I get really good at on the outside appearing like I have life, but inside, like nothing's really changed, okay? And I said, God, you have to show us a better way. 
God, you, there must be a better way. There must be something more than this. There must be something to doing church. Why is it that when we try to build a church, like, we become so fake, and we're just appearing like we have life on the outside, but inside, we're, we're not transformed. We're not looking more and more like Jesus. Say, God, there must be a better way. Please show me. You know, last month, God answered my prayer. Um, he sent a handsome 50-year-old Asian man named Dave Gibbons into our lives. And, you know, we'll look back on our three-year anniversary and remember Dave Gibbons as a really cool guest speaker, but I'll look back on this time and I'll remember Dave as a direct answer to my prayers because Dave, had quit, he's a, he'd essentially lived out my most terrifying suburban nightmare, okay? He, he built a mega church in the suburbs and he was so successful. He had arrived, like he had achieve the status of what we label a successful church and pastor and ministry here in the Western church. And at the height of the success, though, he was describing to me, Mickey, you know, we were successful by all appearances. We were doing amazing as a church. We were one of the largest churches in our regions. All our ministry programs were smooth. But he said inside Mickey, there was this holy growing discontent that something is missing. That something inside of him said, this isn't it. There's got to be something more. There has to be something more than just building up this church. There, there has to be something that God is doing on the inside of his people. And he said, at that moment, something shifted. And listen, I don't know if this church is as big right now as it was in the height of his success. But when I looked into his eyes, I'll tell you what I saw. I saw beaming and bright, radiating life. How many, uh, so many people said they were freaked out when Dave spoke because he looked into your soul. Like he would, I don't know why he kept, who was he looking at the whole time? He kept looking at Ian, I think, and he just kept looking into his eyes. But when you look into his eyes, you could see, and when you hear him talk, that it wasn't just an appearance of life, that he's actually tapped into an inward life that has transformed him from the inside out. And I told God, that's it. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for my son. That's what I want for my people. That's what I want for 99. Not the appearance of life, but that actually we are coming alive on the inside and we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And I said, God, after this existential crisis, I said, God, I don't care if we never grow past 50. I don't care if we never graduate out of this little art studio. God, what I want most for our community is that we would be so transformed by Jesus from the inside out that we radiate that kind of life. That when people look into our eyes, when our coworkers look into our eyes, they don't even need to come to our church because the presence of God is right there with them. That's what I want for our community. I said, God, you got to give that to us. Because otherwise, I'm retiring next year. After year four, I'm outsie. God, you have to do this. You have to do this. Because I am not going to be a middle-aged Asian Rick Warren, okay? But let's be real. Some of us have been coming to church for a really, 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 really long time. I grew up in the church. I'm a church boy. I'm the type of church boy that when I go to another church that's not my church and I see people moving chairs, I'm going to go move some chairs. Okay, I'm that kind of church boy. How many people like that? I know there's a lot of you like that. Some of us have been coming to church for a really, really long time, and and tell me if you resonate with this. Maybe you felt this frustration. I want to change. I really do. I want to experience this life that Jesus always talks about, that the pastor always talks about, and seems like everyone talks about and seems to have it. I, I want to be transformed. I want to live fully alive, but I just don't know how. 
and I've given church a shot. Like, I joined a community group. I signed to serve. I came every Sunday, but nothing inside changed. So how, how do I do this? You know, months go by, years go by, and we're still barely getting by. We're still riddled with anxiety, still caught in cycles of burnout, of loneliness, still lusting, still harboring unforgiveness. Shoot, if Kanye and Drake could put aside their differences and forgive each other, then why can't we? Why is it so hard? And what I find is we just stay in church long enough to get better at masking it on the outside. But on the inside, if we're real with ourselves, not much has really changed. Can you resonate with me there? Nothing is truly transformed. Listen, church, hear me. We can grow on the outside as much as we want. We can do all the bells and the whistles, go through the motions, but on the inside, if nothing has changed, we have missed the point. Am I becoming a more loving person? Am I becoming more patient, more forgiving? Do I carry peace and joy? Do I radiate life like 50-year-old Dave Gibbons? I don't know if I should be sharing his age. Am I full of hope? This is what matters to God, and this is what should matter to us. 99, hear me. The world doesn't need more Christians who are really good at faking it. Come on. Aren't y'all tired of that? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. The world doesn't need more Christians pretending, having the appearance of life, but unchanged deep inside. We need more believers who have radically been transformed from the inside out, who carry that kind of life that makes us say, that's it, I want that. Do you want that, church? I want that too. And so, let's pray. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. That would be a horrible way to end the vision, sir. I'm going to do this many times, by the way, just to fake out, just to keep you on your toes. As we approach the end of the year, I was um, praying, God, what, what do you want to do in 99 this next year? Um, what is the thing you want our hearts to rally around in 2020? What is the thing that you're doing among us? And I, as I was praying uh, leading up to the, today and as leading up to the end of the year, I heard God so clearly say that 2022 is going to be the year of formation. Now, some of your minds immediately went to Beyonce, I slay, I slay. I got hot sauce in my bag, swag. I know you need to repent, okay, if your minds went there. What do we mean by formation? We're talking about spiritual formation. Now, our building manager, his name is Trevor. If you've met him, he's a very lovely, kind, tall, beautiful man. And, um, if you see all those sculptures out there, he actually does those by hand. He's so talented. And, you know, after church, sometimes he comes and hangs out with our church members. And every now and then, he meets someone. And in the middle of their conversation, he says, hey, um, this might be kind of weird, but would you mind modeling for my next sculpture? And he's asked people to do that. And, you know, me, I'm just hearing this. And I'm waiting, uh, when are you going to ask me? Because, you know, I've known you the longest. And I, wanna, I want a sculpture of myself. But he has a specific type. Anyway, um, <laughs> What he does is he gets this model, and he gets this lump of clay, and he spends time molding it, chipping at it, forming it into the image of the model. And this is a good illustration for what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is simply the process of being formed more and more into the image of Jesus. We are that lump of clay. God is like Trevor, 
and Jesus is the image we are being molded and formed into. And it's exactly as it sounds. It is the formation of our spirit, our inner world. We're not talking about, you know, we're not going to become, you know, on the outward appearance, a Jewish man from Nazareth. No, that's not what's happening. It's the inward transformation that we become looking more and more like Jesus. It's the transformation of our heart, of our mind, of our will, our character, even our values all conform to look like Christ. If we go to 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what Paul says. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And isn't that the point of this whole faith journey? That in this man, Jesus, we see the beauty that saves the world. And we want that beauty in our lives. Don't you want to live the kind of life that Jesus lived, radiating with joy, fullness of joy, unshakable peace, with unconditional love? Don't you want to live stories that actually matter, stories of courage and faith and hope that transform and inspire the world? Don't you want to live fully alive with life radiating from your eyes? It requires the process of formation. But I find that so many of us know this to be true, but we don't intentionally orient our lives to be formed by God, if we're to be really honest with ourselves. One of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is, who am I becoming? I don't know why I just imagine that scene from Zoolander of um, Ben Stiller just looking into the puddle of water, and he says, who am I? And it's like, in our souls are constantly asking, who am I becoming? Who are we becoming? Who are we being formed to? The reality is that all of us right now, even in this very moment, are being formed. We are in the process of becoming whether we know it or not. The question is, do you know who you are being formed into? Do you know who you are becoming? Because if we're not intentional, we'll find ourselves years down the line looking very little like Jesus, the one we are claiming to follow. Most of you know that I had a quite lackluster hip-hop career, and (laughs) thank you, man. The Asian youth kids loved me growing up. Um, My favorite rapper growing up was Eminem, and this is before, you know, the internet really blew up. We had really slow dial-up, and so I would watch MTV, I would watch uh, Making the Video, you know, I would watch all of Eminem's music videos, I'd listen to all of his songs. When the bootleg mixtapes uh, came out, I, uh, I illegally downloaded it on, what was it, uh, LimeWire, yeah, Napster at the time too, and um, I found that as I listened to more of Eminem, watched him, um, observed his life and followed him, um, I started dressing like him more, and um, I started wearing baggier clothes, which is kind of ironic because I was imitating a white guy, imitating black guys. Um, and even when I started rapping, um, you know, I'm a, you know me, I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm chill. I'm not really mad at anyone. But Eminem was known for this really aggressive style of rap. Um, he was known for his diss tracks at the time, where he would just diss every pop star. But the problem was I didn't have beef with anyone. And so I wrote songs copying Eminem, dissing uh, Zanga, uh, dissing Mosquitoes. I literally had a song called F Mosquitoes. Um, 
And I found that I started dressing more, looking more, talking a little more, rapping more like Eminem. See, we're always being formed, and I think we realize it a lot more when we're teenagers in hindsight, but even right now, do you know that you are being formed? Listen, I've seen Bible Belt con- con- uh, conservatives move to San Francisco and leave years later the wokest of woke progressives. The cities that we live in, the Instagram accounts that we follow, the podcasts we listen to, the people that we idolize, the figures that we watch and the shows that we watch and the books that we read, all of it are forming us. And the truth is, we are formed by who we follow. Your worldview, your politics, your theology, your ideology, your values were not created in isolation. I'm sorry, y'all. None of you are original. We have all been influenced and formed. We are becoming based on who we follow, who we give an ear to, who we watch. And listen, there's nothing wrong with following secular accounts. Like my favorite account on Instagram is... (laughs) You're going to hate me for this. It's called Kids Getting Hurt. And it's just little kids just getting into these, you know, harmless accidents, like a soccer ball hits a kid and he flies. I mean, I don't know. I'm worried for Zion, okay? There's nothing wrong with following secular accounts, listening to secular voices, watching secular things. The problem is that some of us, if we're to be real, have been formed more into the image of that Instagram account than we have the image of Jesus, Some of us have been formed more by that political figure than by Jesus himself. Some of us have been formed more by that celebrity than by the word of God, than by scripture. And we wonder why we haven't tapped into the life that Jesus promises us. We want the benefits of following Jesus without actually following Jesus. Being Christian for many of us out here in the West is more about Jesus following us rather than us following Jesus. We try to fit Jesus into our busy schedules where it's most convenient instead of orienting our entire lives around following him. Church, hear me, because this is going to set some of you free. I don't know if you figured this out by now, but following Jesus just doesn't work as a side hobby. Jesus ain't no side piece. He ain't no side chick, y'all. It just doesn't work. In fact, I think doing it halfway actually makes it even harder and more frustrating to follow Jesus. I know you can't tell, but three years ago, you know, I I told people when I did this that it would be my sermon illustrations for the rest of my life. But I ran a full marathon here in San Francisco in 2018. And to be quite honest, uh, the only way that I could describe it, sorry for my language, I half-assed it. Like, I did not train as much as I should have. And so, as a result, my experience of the marathon was hell. It was so hard. I gassed out halfway through at mile 13, and I had 13 more miles to go. Like, Jesus literally carried me to the end, okay? It was not me. And I think if you haven't figured this out by now, doing faith halfway, I think in many ways, is actually harder. It's hard to live this life, to follow Jesus halfway through. There's something about going all in where God gives us the grace, but when we do it halfway, it actually becomes harder. We feel like we're, we're pushing against the grain, like our feet are in quicksand. Do you know what I'm talking about? And scripture says, that's why scripture says those who lay down their entire lives will find it. Not a piece of their lives, not just their Sundays, not just community group night. All of their lives will find it. And maybe the honest truth is many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus are actually just fans. Let's pray. God, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, just playing, guys. The call of Jesus has always been from the beginning, believe in me. And for most of us, that's where we stopped. 
Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you'll move in my life. But the call of Jesus doesn't end there. He doesn't say, just believe in me. Live your life. Jesus says, follow me. Mark 1, 16 to 18, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake where they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And so I want to spend the rest of our time just answering this one question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How we answer that question really matters, and how we answer that question determines if we experience the life-transforming power of Jesus. You know, I wonder if we've cheapened the idea of following someone in our modern-day context, because what it means today, following someone, like, Rena, I'm going to follow you. It means going to her social media account and clicking follow, right? And um, I think that if Jesus were alive today and we tried to follow him, it would be like, Okay, I'm going to go to Jesus' Instagram page. I'm going to click follow. I'm going to like a few posts, um, some of them that I agree with, some of them that I don't. I'm going to leave a comment, maybe some heart emojis, Jesus, I love you, maybe some raise hand emojis, and share about him on my story. And that's what we understand about what it means to follow someone. But to follow someone meant something so much more in the context of Jesus' day. So just a little bit of history. Just bear with me. I promise we're going someone. You're going to give me a little extra grace today, right? I feel it. Okay. Of the 90 times that people talk to Jesus in the Gospels, people most often refer to him not as Jesus or Messiah or King or Savior. Most of the time, people refer to Jesus as rabbi or teacher. And this has huge implications for us as followers of Jesus. A little history about a rabbi. A rabbi in Jesus' day was like an exceptional teacher of the Torah. He's like the Neil uh, Tyson, what's his name? Um, The really smart guy. Yeah, he was like that in his day for the Torah, right? A rabbi just really knew his stuff. People were really drawn. They were widely respected and honored. And most Jewish children in that culture in that day, they grew up aspiring to be a rabbi, but it was really, really hard. And a rabbi would have to choose you out of uh, countless others to become their disciple. And most kids weren't picked. I mean, it was like me with dodgeball as an elementary school kid. Just weren't picked, okay? Okay. I'm actually really good at dodgeball. You know, despite my size, I'm very nimble, by the way. If we ever do a church-wide dodgeball, do not pick me last. But it was hard to be selected. If a rabbi selected you to be their disciple, it was a big deal. Now, the word used for disciple in Greek, I'm going to throw it up right here, and you're going to say it back with me, is talmidim. Say it with me, talmidim. And it could be translated as disciple or follower or student, but perhaps a more appropriate translation of the word Talmudim or disciple is actually apprentice. To follow a rabbi, to be a disciple of a rabbi was to apprentice under him. Now, I talked about Trevor earlier. A few years from now, Trevor's actually leaving us, and he's going to Europe to do an apprenticeship with a world-class famous sculptor. That's not amazing. Like, he's so talented. Uh, And I imagine when he goes, he's not going because, um, oh, cool, like, we're going to have a fun experience. He's going because he wants to learn to become like that world-class master sculptor, the one he is apprenticing under. And if he has apprenticed under him for a number of years, 
and he comes out and does not look, act, or sculpt like him, he's actually failed. An apprentice is meant to imitate, to copy, to become like the one they are apprenticing under. And so if you were an apprentice, a disciple of a rabbi back in the day, you had three goals. Number one was to be with your rabbi, right? Ying, come up here. I want you to demonstrate this with you. So Ying, um, Ying is my apprentice. I'm his rabbi. And the first goal of this apprentice to my rabbiship was to be with me at all times. And so apprentices literally followed close behind their rabbi, whatever they went, whatever they did, and they stayed, like, they were heel to toe. That's how close. There was even this expression, um, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, because they were following so closely that the rabbi would be kicking up dust, that dust would cover the entire garment of the apprentice of the disciple. And so you were to follow your rabbi 24-7, whether they were eating or drinking or pooping or teaching or talking or walking. Your goal was to be around your rabbi so that you can observe and become like your rabbi. So the goal number one for an apprentice is to be with your rabbi. Number two is to become like your rabbi. Your goal was to become a carbon copy of your rabbi. And so if I was walking around and I started eating like this, my apprentice would eat like this. If I started walking around and I needed to use the restroom like this, my apprentice would use the restroom like that. The goal of the apprentice was to become a carbon copy, to come into the likeness of the rabbi, to do what your rabbi did And then the last thing, the last goal, be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi. The last goal was to do what your rabbi did. And the last goal, the goal of the apprentice is to one day become a rabbi himself and choose his own apprentice. Who do you want to choose? JP's not here. Okay, thank you, Yang. Go sit down. And so the goal of an apprentice of a rabbi was to be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi, and do what your rabbi did. So let me ask you again, what does it mean to follow Jesus through this lens? It's very simple. To follow Jesus is to apprentice under him. If we want to be formed, if we want to experience true transformation, we have to apprentice under Jesus. This is what it means to follow him, and this is three things. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Be with Jesus, living in a constant state of awareness and connection to the presence of God. Brother Lawrence talked about this. He calls it practicing the presence. Everything flows out of this. If we go to John 15, 5, this is the words of Jesus. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's communion with Jesus. Things like prayer, silence, and worship. Even gathering here on Sunday morning. Part of the reason why we do this is to to make space to be with our rabbi, to be in the presence. But it extends far beyond that. It's in your everyday work when you're washing the dishes, when you're doing yoga, when you're running outside. Our goal is to live in the constant state of awareness that we are in the presence of God. 
Number two, become like Jesus, imitating him. The way he treated others, the way he loved, the way he interacted with the Father. And not just behavior, but transform from the inside out, cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, you cannot fake patience and kindness. Those fruit can only be birthed when we intentionally try to imitate our rabbi, Jesus. And the last thing is do what Jesus did. Jesus's mission was to usher in the kingdom of God, doing justice, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, bringing light into the darkness. Our calling as a follower of Jesus is ultimately do what Jesus did, to go into our workplaces, into our families, and bring that same life that we experience as we are with our rabbi and become like our rabbi. And so following Jesus means ordering our lives around these three things. And so listen, church, as we pursue formation next year, this is our vision. This is our focus. We're going to spend time being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Everything that we do here at 99 in 2022 is going to flow from one of these three things. And we're going to dive deeper into each of these when the new year hits. We're going to go real deep. But for now, I just want you to understand this concept. What does it mean to be formed? It means to follow Jesus because we're formed by who we follow. And what it means to follow Jesus is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Last illustration. Um, imagine one day I'm just at church, and I see Joseph right there. I'm like, there's something about Joseph, like his life. He just seems so well-rested. His hair just seems to be perfect. He seems to be super healthy and happy and always at peace. And what if one day I just, I just thought to myself, I want to be like Joseph. And so I actually approached Joseph. I'm like, Joseph, listen, um, this might be kind of weird, but... I really admire you, and I want to become like you. And so Joseph, he comes to me, and he's gracious. He's a little weirded out, but he says, okay, Mickey, why don't we just start by, you know, just meeting once a week? Then I'm just going to tell you a list of things that I do in my life so that I experience this, you know, my beautiful flowing golden hair and my well-rested self and body and all this energy. You're going to do all these things, and, and hopefully one day you experience what I experience. And so he gives me... Um, an appointment the, the following week, um, but I can't show up, actually, because um, I have work that I have to do, and so I never meet up with him. So he, he just ends up mailing me a list. Okay, these are some of the things I do. This is how I eat. This is what I eat. Um, this is what I do every morning. You know, I do a yoga flow every morning, and I do copperware in the evening, and says, these are some of the things that you can do, and so I take this list. say, all right, I'll get to that. Never get to it. And a month passes by, and I still hadn't met with Joseph. I still hadn't done anything. I hadn't tried to imitate him at all. And nothing's changed. Two months, same thing. Three months, four months, six months. A year passes by, and I had not met with Joseph. I met with him maybe once, and we ate Shake Shack, and it wasn't healthy. And I hadn't done anything that he does. I hadn't tried to imitate him one single bit. I haven't done anything that he recommended that I do. And a year from now, I, I come up to Joseph, and I say, Joseph... You lied to me. Nothing in my life looks different. My hair still falls down. It doesn't wave in the hair. Like, my body is still the same as it was. I don't feel healthy. I don't feel fit. I don't feel energy. I don't feel life. Like, what happened? You would look at me and say, of course, Mickey. You didn't spend any time with Joseph. You didn't try to imitate his life. You haven't done anything that he asked you to do. Of course, you haven't changed. And I think sometimes we come to this point with God. God, why aren't I changing? 
God, why aren't I transformed? Why aren't I experiencing the life that you promised me? And he's saying, bro, when's the last time you actually spent time with me outside of church? When was the last time you did the things that I did in my life to cultivate this kind of life? We think Jesus just had this life. We don't realize his life of prayer his life of communing with the Father, his life of feeding the homeless and the sick, his life of bringing light to the darkness, of preaching, of studying the Bible. We don't understand those things were actually the source of his life. We just think he radiated life. No, the things that he did brought him life. And we say, God, why aren't I, why aren't I transformed? Like, what, what's the deal here? Of course, you haven't been with me. You haven't tried to become like me. And you haven't done what I did. In Matthew 5, 24 through 27, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with the great crash. Hear me, church, and I'm coming in for a landing, I promise. Spiritual formation doesn't just happen by accident. It requires intention, and I love what this passage said, puts them into practice. Spiritual formation requires practice. The way of living is going to take a lifetime of practice. I don't know if you figured it out by now, but just coming on Sundays to hear a, a decent message by me or by one of our speakers who do a way better job than I do is not going to transform you. It's actually what happens when you get home from Sunday. It happens on Monday and Tuesday. What we choose to practice in our lives is actually what transforms us. And so, church, one way that we're going to practice our apprenticeship to Jesus together is through what we call a collective church rule of life. We've introduced this a number of times in the past, but I know that not many of y'all have done it. And so my hope is that this year I somehow inspire you to give it a shot. What is a rule of life? A rule of life is a set of rhythms and practices, just like it was said, a set of practices that help us create space in our busy lives to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Now, the Latin word rule, I know it sounds so restrictive, but it's actually quite the opposite. The Latin word rule, and honestly, as an Enneagram type 7, ENFP, like I'm such a rule breaker, I'm such a bad boy. I hate the word rule, but there's something powerful about it. The Latin word rule is translated from the Greek word trellis. And if you know anything about trellis, it's a, it's a structure that's commonly found in vineyards. And so a trellis upholds a plant as it grows. It's the thing that holds up a plant so that it grows straight up and it doesn't fall into the soil and die and wither away. In the same way, a vine needs a trellis to hold it up so it can bear fruit. We use a rule of life to support us and to hold us up as we try our best to be with Jesus become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so very practically, y'all, we put all of this on a website for y'all. Go to the next slide. There's a QR code. I want you to hit it right now, or just go to 99church.com rule, 
And this is going to be our rule of life together as a community for the year 2022. If I walk up to Rena and I say, Rena, how has your walk been with God this month? I can expect that she has been trying to live these things out. If I walk up to Fatai and I say, hey, what you've been doing in a communion with God? I don't even need to ask because this is what we're going to be collectively doing. Practices and rhythms together so that we can aim to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So just going through the list really quick, you can follow along with me. I broke it up into daily, weekly, and quarterly. The first daily, start the day in quiet prayer and scripture. I don't care if it's five minutes or 50 minutes, quantity, quality over quantity. The second, I think, is really important because some of y'all just stay inside all day and work, but spend time outdoors. Take five minutes to just go outside your door, open your window, and get fresh air to enjoy God's creation. And the last thing is to end the day in gratitude. Just thank God. God, what are some of the blessings that you release? What are some of the things, whether it's obvious or hidden, that you've done throughout the day? And the weekly practices, every month we're going to introduce this month's spiritual rhythm. And we're going to take from 12 disciplines that Christians have practiced throughout the ages, and we're going to focus on one each month. In January, it's going to be the rhythm of silence. And so create a space once a week, uninterrupted silence and solitude. And then in February, it's going to be something else, probably going to be fasting, right? In March, it's going to be something else. The next one, do life together. Establish a relational touch point with a close friend, family member, or someone from our community. This is a time to draw closer in relationship through a cup of coffee, phone call, shared meal, video game. I know Jerry loves to connect with people. Jerry plays video games with his dad. Isn't that beautiful? I I just want my son to be like that. You're amazing, Jerry. Um, Establish a relational touch point with someone in your life. The next one, keep the Sabbath. Woo, I felt conviction sweep across the room because we preach on Sabbath 10,000 times, and I know y'all still ain't keeping the Sabbath, but set aside a 24-hour period to not work, to not want. That includes shopping. I'm sorry. That's wanting. That includes Amazon. Just not wanting, needing, but being completely content and resting in God. Next one, the next two, I really want to emphasize worship on Sundays. 2022, I really long for a consistent presence in our Sunday gatherings. I think there's something really powerful when we have a full house. I think there's something powerful about having this consistent space to worship God together. And so worship on Sunday, community during the week. Um, This last season of community groups was our smallest season since we launched. We had one whopping community group. We had three at the start of this year. I think there's been a lost value or intention to building community with other believers. And why I think community group is going to be so important this next year as we pursue a collective rule of life is that we have our friends. Let's be real. We have our close friends. You are not lonely, most of y'all. We have our set people that we go to, but do you have that person that you go to that's going to ask you, hey, did you start your day in scripture and in prayer? 
Have you been communing with Jesus? Have you been intentionally trying to imitate him or do what he did? Have you been walking and following Jesus? We need relationships with other believers, and it helps that we're all going to be doing a collective rule of life together. And the last one, our quarterly rule of life, to seek shalom for our city. Volunteering with an organization that is helping those in need of our city um, we're actually partnering with Oaks and Crown, Dan's organization, where we're going to help build up leaders um, on the other side of the world. It's going to be so powerful. We just did an amazing outreach with Mobilized Love. And so this is our rule of life for 2022. And I want you just to get your heart ready. As soon as 2022 hits, just give it a shot. As we intentionally pursue being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Now, you'll notice that most of these are intentionally vague, and it's because we wanted to leave room for creativity and flexibility. Maybe starting your day with scripture looks like turning on your audio Bible in the voice of Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know. Maybe, who's the soothing voice? Morgan Freeman, or... I don't know, someone who has a really soothing voice that's better than mine. Maybe starting your day with scripture looks like going through a devotional. I know Vanessa's been doing that for years, every single day. Maybe ending the day in gratitude means starting a gratitude journal, or it means lying in bed and just praying and thanking God. A rule of life is simply a means to an end. And so it is the end of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. You guys got this? You guys got this, right? And so I want us to rally around this. I want us, 99, to, at the end of 2022, say, I have grown on the inside. I look more like Jesus on December 31st, 2022, than I did January 1st, 2022. I have become a more loving person. I have learned how to rest. I have learned how to not be an anxious or a hurried individual. I have learned how to forgive. I've learned how to interact with people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. I've learned how to love that annoying coworker who just seems to push my buttons. I have learned how to sit through Pastor Mickey's sermon and honor him by smiling and saying amen. I have learned all of these things. I've become more like Jesus than I did at the start of this year. That's my heart, 99. I don't want us 30 years down the line to be lifeless Christians who are good at faking it. I want us to really tap into the life of our rabbi, Jesus. So I want to invite us right now into a time of response. And so why don't we close our eyes? I know that was a lot of teaching, but I really wanted us to get the heart of what this is about. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, and I, I almost want you to, there's a, there's a passage in Psalms where the psalmist says, search me, O God, search me, O God, and I want you to make that your prayer this morning, search me, God. If I were really being brutally honest with myself, have I been following you? I mean, really, have I been following you, Jesus, or have, have I created a life where you're following me? Have I become a follower of Jesus, or am I simply a fan? And I want you to take this moment and just ask God, God, search me. I want to know if I need to reorient my life around you,
and just have this brutally honest moment with God. God, I just want to be real. I've given this shot. I've, I've tried this church thing, but nothing inside of me has really changed. Next year, I want it to be different. Next year, I want to experience that life that you always talk about, that life and life to the full. And so, God, would you show me what it means to be with you, what it means to become like you, what it means to do what you did, and right now, I just want you to respond by saying, God, I want to make this commitment to you. 2022, I've tried it my way. I've tried doing church halfway. I've tried following you halfway. I've tried, I've tried this faith thing, but not gone all in. But next year, I want to go all in. I want to really follow you. I want to set my entire life, I want to orient my entire life to being with you, becoming like you, and doing what you did. This is what I want my life to be about. And right now, just make that commitment, God. I promise next year, this is my commitment. That I will practice, I will step into the rhythms and the disciplines and do what it takes to be formed by you. I will posture myself to be transformed. God, I thank you that you have life for us, that you have peace for us, that you have joy for us. You have so many beautiful things. We have barely even tapped into our inheritance. And I believe next year, and I say this 99, hear me. I hear the voice of the Lord saying, come get your inheritance. Come get your life. Come get your joy. Come get your peace. Come get that breakthrough for that relationship. Come get that breakthrough for your destiny. Come get that answered prayer. Come get that promise that you've been waiting on. Come get your inheritance. It's yours, but it's going to require you to leave your nets behind, to leave the way that you've been living, to leave behind being the Lord of your own life, and it's going to require you to follow me but I promise you will never regret it. And it will be better than anything you could have ever expected. And so God, we step into 2022 with that heart, with that posture. We want to be with our rabbi. We want to become like our rabbi. We want to do what our rabbi did. Would you do that in us, God? We love you. We give you the highest praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. I don't know if you got that. If one person got that, I'll be very, very happy. Hey, listen, before we close, and we're going to have an awesome party, really chill party. We're just going to chill and hang out, drink some wine, eat some Golden Boy. But I want to just go back to that Rule of Life webpage. If you saw at the bottom, I want to highlight three ways that you can actually just really participate and get involved with what, you're, what we're doing next year. The first is this. I, I really want to rebuild up our community. You know, when we first started, we had, like, I feel like all of us were so tight. Like, we were so close. We all knew each other. We knew what was going on in each other's lives. And I know, in a sense, there's been this fatigue with community because a lot of our close friends have uprooted and moved away. And it's like, I have to invest in new relationships again. And new people are coming in, and you don't know anyone. And 
I really want 2022 for us to recapture the heart behind covenant community, and it cannot happen unless we consistently show up. And so my first plan of action that I'm calling you to is to sign up for a community group. And we are innovating next year. Um, I'm really excited. We are a lot of surprises in store, but we're working with someone um, to really just change what community group's about. And we really want to hear your voice. There's even a survey on that list. So you don't have to fill it out right now because there are some deep questions at the bottom that we really want you to answer. But number one, sign up for community group. Number two, join the team. Participate in building this house. Serve with us. We have spots on our coffee bar open. We need welcomers and greeters. Um, if you play a musical instrument, you know, we really need a drummer, y'all, and a bassist and more vocalists. If you want to participate in worshiping with us, um, we need help on production. We just want help serving this house and building this house together. And so there are many ways that you could participate in joining with what we're doing here by joining the team. And the last thing, I never ask you for money. I never do. But I want you to consider making a year-end donation to really fund what we want to do in 2022. We have really big dreams and passions. Uh, Next year, I don't know if Trevor's in here, but we're really looking for a new building uh, where babies and parents feel safe. (laughs) And uh, we're looking for a new space that could hopefully we can grow into where more families would come. Um, We are going to record our first single professionally, maybe make an EP. It's going to be cool. We're going to bring in amazing mentors and teachers like Deborah and Dave that we did last year. 99 Labs. We're going to do a lab about the Enneagram. We're going to bring in amazing teachers to really guide us to go deeper in faith. But we need the generosity of our people. And so as the year ends, I want you to just pray. And this is no pressure. This is just if you want to join in with what God's doing here at 99, consider making a year-end donation. Or if you haven't been tithing regularly, maybe 2022 is the time to begin tithing regularly. And this is our way of contributing to what God's doing in this house. Listen, trust me, if I was in it for the money, y'all, I would be in another profession, okay? It's not about the money. It's about what God wants to do through 99 here in San Francisco. And so consider joining with us in these three ways. Join a community group, join the team, and consider giving towards 99 in 2022. Cool? You got that?